Good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. It is a busy weekend. It is a beautiful weekend and so excited to have you join us and also those who are joining us online on Facebook Live. We welcome you uh, and, and just so glad you're here. There, we're here. You're there. We're all together. Amen and amen. Let's go home. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's kind of an eventful day today. This afternoon, we're doing something at three o'clock that I truly want to invite you to if you've never been to one. We're having a baby slash child dedication this afternoon at 3 p.m. Uh, we choose to do things a little differently at Crossroads, which you might kind of expect that. Uh, a lot of other churches, and no, no, no harm is meant when I say this, they include child dedication or baby dedication as part of the normal morning services. We choose not to do that. We choose to make it a very special and different event because we believe each child is fearfully and wonderfully made and should be celebrated and dedicated as such. So this afternoon at 3 p.m. right here in the auditorium, uh, we'll gather together and we'll celebrate God's gift uh, to these parents. It's been a while since we've done this. Uh, before COVID, so some of these kids are actually teenagers now. Uh, <laughs> it seems like that. We're going to get back on our rotation of fall dedication and spring dedication. So again, it's just one of those things that, you know, trying to keep a church going uh, has been all we could do, and now we're kind of getting things back in the groove. So we would invite you to join us this afternoon at 3 p.m., whether you have or know one of these children that are being dedicated or not. It doesn't really matter. Come here, support us, and support them as we commit as a church to being behind these families and their children and helping them raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So you're invited to join us this afternoon. It's really different. It's really fun. If you don't come for anything else, we'll have cake, okay? We'll have cake and we'll have something to drink so you can enjoy that. Three o'clock, it'll last about 45 minutes, but we truly invite you to come and to support those people. Let me also say this. Uh, if you'll look at your worship guide, if you picked one up, if not, get one on the way out, if there are any left, we kind of gave you a prelude or a, a little snippet of what Easter is going to look like. Again, everything's different, and we're trying to get back beyond what normal was, but we will have a good Friday. We will have, you know, all that stuff. We're having an event for children next Sunday afternoon here. I think it's 4.30 to 6 in the auditorium because, again, you can't ever predict the weather. So we're going to do it inside. Uh, again, other churches, other organizations are going to have lots of egg hunts. So you can do those. We'll do something here, but we wanted to do it where we didn't have to cancel it. So it's going to be inside 4.30 to 6 next Sunday. Read the worship guide and you'll know everything that's going on because, again, uh, it's kind of a busy time of year. Now, if you were with me last weekend then you know that I made a reference to something that we're very familiar with. And that is a white flag. Because we all know, we've all seen the movies, we've all seen or read a book where we have known that the white flag is this international symbol of surrender. And again, we started this pursuit last week of, of talking about one of the most elusive characteristics that exist in the human life. It's really something that, that everyone chases, but, every, but hardly anybody attains it. Hardly anybody finds it. And while most people don't get it and most people can't define it, there's just something in us that tells us in our heart that we're truly not at home until we find it. And you're asking, well, what is it that you're talking about? And let me just show you. It's peace. It's peace. Very few people find it. Most people can't define it. But we're constantly chasing it. And last weekend, we introduced a principle that will continue to be a baseline or a foundation. Today, it was last week today, and it will be again next weekend. So for the benefit of those that might not have been here, and for a reminder to those that were here, let me, let me show you what that foundation is. The foundation is really this. The secret to discovering unexplainable peace is learning how to wholeheartedly surrender. Now, again, I told you last week, and I'll tell you again today, that's worth writing down. That's worth typing in on your phone, and then get off your phone, okay? Okay. 
unless you're making notes there. Again, if you were last us week, with us last week, we covered how is it that this principle applies to our circumstances? How do, how do we have peace in our circumstances? And if you didn't hear the message last week or if you weren't here last week, go online and listen to the message or watch it from Facebook because it's still there. Because we talked about how worry is that one thing that can rob you of your peace. And I'll tell you this morning, I'm not because it was my message. Listen to the message because it's a game changer when it comes to the way that you approach life in this day and time, especially all of the things that you have happening in the world right now that are causing you and causing me to worry. Now, this morning, we're going to switch gears. And we're going to talk about how this principle impacts another area of our lives. And here's that area. Relationships. How do we experience peace in our relationships? And, and, and again, you know, when you start talking about relationships and you start talking about how do, I, how do I experience peace in my relationships, because most of you would admit with me that that's probably one of the places that you struggle with peace the most. Am I right? I mean, I mean come on, come on. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's dark. People can't see you, okay? But that's a place we all struggle with peace. There's always conflict in our relationships, and I think one of the best places for me to start is to tell you something that I have noticed about my own life. And the thing that I have started to notice in my life is that in every authentic relationship that I have, notice that I said authentic relationship, if that relationship is truly authentic, then there's always going to be conflict. And it's my personal opinion, by looking at my life, but it's my personal opinion that most of us are grossly under-equipped when it comes to dealing with conflict. You and I are grossly under-equipped when it comes to dealing with conflict in our personal relationships. And let me just go ahead and tell you, I am absolutely the worst at this. I'm absolutely the worst. This is a hard message for me to speak because this is one area in my life where I struggle. So with that being said, let me just go ahead and tell you that the stuff that I'm going to lay out for you this morning, this is important stuff. And you say, well, Randy, why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. It's important because God tells us to live at peace with everyone. That's why we talk about conflict and relationships. God tells us that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to live at peace with, every, with everyone. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 12, verse 18. Here's what he said. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, look at, look, look at the verse behind me. Because there's something that stands out in that verse. And it's the phrase, as far as it depends on on you. So with that verse in mind, let me just go ahead and tell you what my goal is today. I want to transform how you see and respond to conflict. That's my goal. That's, that's, that's what I'm going to do from this stage. That's what I hope to accomplish. I just want to transform how you see and not just see conflict, but ultimately how you respond to conflict. And the best place for me to start is by asking one little three-word question. And here it is. Is conflict bad? I mean, think about that. Is conflict bad? 
Because here's what I believe. The Bible, I believe that the Bible teaches that many of the disagreements that you and I have with other people, whether it's in our family or whether it's in our business or out there in the world, those disagreements are the result of sinful attitudes and sinful behavior. As a matter of fact, James wrote this. James 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's what he says. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. And now look at the, look at this look at the look at James. He, he's speaking into this culture. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So sometimes conflict, listen, sometimes conflict is the result of evil desires, sinful desires. But here's the next thing I would say. Conflict is not necessarily bad. In fact, the Bible teaches that some of the differences that we have with people are, are just natural. Some of the differences that we have with other people are, are actually natural, but they're also beneficial. Because God has created us differently. I mean, just think if everybody in the world looked like me and Anderson Cooper. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God has made us all different. I mean, we have different opinions, different convictions, different desires, different perspectives, and different priorities. And most of the time, those differences are not, listen, 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 are not inherently wrong. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how those differences are really the result of God-given diversity, personal preferences. And so, and while we should seek unity in our relationships, we should not demand uniformity. And the reason why we should not demand uniformity is this. It's because conflict is an opportunity to demonstrate God's love and power in our lives. See, here's the thing I believe. I believe God takes great delight in helping us do things that we can't do on our own. You know what I mean? I really think God delights in helping Randy do something that he can't do on his own. Let, let, me, let, me, let me draw a picture. And I'm not a good drawer, but I'm going to do the best I can. It's embarrassing when you spell it wrong, you know. <laughs> this is what I call the slippery slope of conflict. It's like a mountain. It's like a hill. But that's what I call the slippery slope of conflict. Because here's what I believe, and I, and I learned this from somebody else. I can't remember who it was. But, but there are three ways that we are going to basically respond to conflict. And those three responses are this. There's the escape response. There's the attack response. But then there in the middle is the biblical response. Let's look over here at the escape side. People who use the escape response, they're the people who tend to want to avoid conflict. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they, they tend to want to avoid the conflict. 
And, and this is the escape response to conflict is the response that really has penetrated the church. Because most Christians believe that conflict is wrong. Most people who follow Jesus believe that the conflict is wrong, so they like the escape response to conflict because they believe that conflict is dangerous. So thinking that Christians should always agree or fearing that somehow conflict is going to damage their relationships, the people who respond to conflict on this side of the hill do that because they just want to avoid the conflict. Whether the conflict is in their marriage or in a relationship or in a friendship or in their business, they just, they just don't want to deal with it. It's kind of that whole denial or flight response. They just pretend like the, the conflict doesn't exist. Or if we can't deny that the problem exists, we just refuse to do what we should do to properly resolve the conflict. Now, let me give you a biblical example of that. You may remember several months ago. It's been several months ago. We talked about King David and how King David responded when his son raped his half-sister, Tamar. That's the escape response to conflict. And if you go back to that message or if you go back to that story in the Bible, then all of us know that that did not work out well in the life of David. It actually led to a disaster. Because see, here's the reality with Christians. Most Christians are into peace faking instead of peacemaking. Most Christians, most followers of Jesus would rather fake the peace than make the peace. In other words, they're more concerned about the appearance of peace rather than actually the reality of peace. That's the escape response to conflict. Then on the other side of the mountain, you have the attack response. These are the people who are more interested when conflict is a part of a relationship or there's conflict in something. They're the people who want to win at all costs. They're always more interested in winning than they are resolving the conflict. This attitude is seen in people who actually see conflict as kind of a contest or a chance to assert their rights or an opportunity for them to control people. That response, the attack response to conflict, is usually used by somebody who's really strong, somebody who is really, really uh, self-confident. But it may also be used by somebody who wants to make other people feel weak and insecure and fearful. And let me just say, if, if this is you, the attack response, if that's who you are, if that's how you respond to conflict, you're the kind of person that wouldn't know what to do without conflict. You're the person who always stirs the conflict up. You're looking for it. You're, you're just always feeding on conflict. You go out of your way to create conflict because for you, conflict is really this kind of coping me mechanism. And can I just tell you something? If this, if this describes you, and you don't have to raise your hand. If that's you, though, lighten up. I mean, look at what it says in Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 11. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. See, much of the things that you get all fired up about, much of the things that cause the conflict in our relationships and in our lives is usually something petty, downright petty. And, and listen to me, I want you to hear me. If there's anything our culture has lost, it's the ability to overlook. Right? Am I right? We, have over, we, have, we, we, do not, we don't have the ability anymore to overlook. We don't have the ability to overlook an offense. But let me help you recognize something this morning. Overlooking an offense, you know what that is? 
It's a form of forgiveness. It involves you making a deliberate decision not to talk about it. Not to dwell on it. Not to let it grow into this pent-up bitterness and anger. So we have these two responses. We have the escape response. We have the attack response. But then right there in the middle, we have the biblical response when it comes to conflict. Now, here's the thing. I think that when we look at the biblical response, we need to understand that there are some things that we need to take note of. And again, if you're writing down, this is the things I'd write, I would write down. Here's the very first thing. When you're responding to conflict in a biblical response, you always need to seek to glorify God. I mean, think about it. Every time you have conflict in your life, it's always an opportunity for you to be able to seek to glorify God. And you say, well, what do you mean? It's your opportunity to show somebody else who God is and how he's working and what he's like and what he's doing. So the best way to respond and the best way to glorify God in the midst of conflict is for you to depend on and draw attention to the grace of God. And, and what I mean is the undeserved love, the mercy, the forgiveness, the strength, and the wisdom that he gives to us through Jesus Christ. And, and that can be done in several ways. But it starts... With surrender. Listen, people, listen, listen. Drop your, drop your agenda. Surrender and trust God. Drop your agenda. Surrender the situation and trust God. Instead of relying, relying on your own abilities and your own ideas as you respond to people who oppose you, Ask God to give you the grace to depend on Him and follow His way in the situation. Even if what He asks you to do is completely opposite of what you actually feel like doing. Look at, look at Proverbs 3. It's, it's a very familiar verse. But this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at it through the eyes of the biblical response to conflict. Proverbs 3, you're going to notice it, you're going to read it, you're going to see it, you already see it behind me, you, you know it. But look at it through this, this response to conflict. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now we usually stop there, but look at the last verse. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. See, I think God loves to display his love in us when we attempt things that we would never attempt on our own. Such as forgiving people who have hurt us. And here's the thing. When you trust the Lord in these unnatural ways, people are going to have the opportunity to see that God is real and praise him for his work in your life because you're doing something that you wouldn't normally do. And I think in lots of situations, that means walking into the situation and instead of believing the worst, it means believing the best. I think sometimes when people have hurt you and harmed you and there's conflict, you just have to walk into the situation and believe the best. See, I have people all the time come up to me and tell me about somebody or a situation. Instead of me jumping on the bandwagon and assuming that everything about the situation or everything about that person is wrong, I try to back up and look at the situation and believe the best. 
Let me give you another point when it comes to, biblical, to the biblical response. You need to focus on your contribution. How can I show Jesus' work in me? By taking responsibility for my contribution to the conflict. Let me tell you, people, let me just tell you. You've always got skin in that game. When there's conflict, you may run to somebody and say, look what he did to me. But there's more to the story than just what you're telling. There's your contribution to the conflict. So sometimes you need to own the contribution that you're making to the conflict. Look at Matthew 7. Here's what it says. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There's wisdom there. And the wisdom that I see in what, in what is written in Matthew is this. Focus on what you did to the conflict. Focus on your contribution to the conflict. Focus on you rather than what the other person may have contributed to the conflict. See, the temptation of conflict is that we often feel that we want to control someone by ignoring them or shaming them. That means we're doing that in an effort to make that someone who better serves our purposes. But look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5 verse 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, focus on the word mercy. Mercy is the thing that frees me from thinking I need to be able to fix what's wrong. Mercy is able to love and be compassionate whether the wrong can be righted or not. But see, here's the problem with all of us in this room. All of us here, all of us watching the man on the stage. We're quick. Quick to judge, quick to condemn. Quick to throw the penalty flag, quick to call the foul, quick to be offended. But at the very same time, we're slow to ask, what's my part in this? What do I need to own in this? What's my contribution to the conflict? Because let me tell you what I believe conflict is. Conflict is one of many tools that God will use to help you develop a more Christ-like character. Conflict is one of the tools that God will use. Because whether you believe this or not, God's highest purpose in your life is not to make you comfortable or wealthy or happy. I don't care what anybody preaches. That's not God's desire to make you, that's not his ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose, listen, listen, is not to make you wealthy or happy or comfortable. In spite of what many people may think or what they are hoping is going to happen. If you have put your faith in him, he has something far more wonderful in mind as he plans to conform you into the likeness of his son. Because you see, on the very day that you put your trust in him, God began to change you. And let me tell you, God will continue to do that in your life until the day you take your very last breath. And God also may use 
conflict to expose sinful attitudes, sinful habits in your life. Because that's what God has done in mine. God has used conflict in my life over and over and over again when it comes to breaking down appearances, revealing stubborn pride, a bitter heart, an unforgiving heart, a critical tongue. Because when you go through conflict and these characteristics are brought to the surface, that's when you have an opportunity to recognize that they're a part of your life and then ask God to help you to overcome those things. Here's another point in the biblical response. You need to gently restore somebody if the opportunity is given. Here's a question I've been trying to ask when I have conflict with somebody. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to the conflict? How can I help somebody else take responsibility for what they are contributing to the conflict? So here's the thing. There's a difference, a big difference, between hurting someone and harming someone. Because when you sit down with somebody and help them face a hard truth, it will hurt them. But at the same time it hurts them, it can also be a huge opportunity for growth. That's not harmful. Harm is when you damage someone. Helping someone face reality is usually not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. See, when I resort to the escape response, you know what I'm doing? I'm focusing on me. I'm looking for an easy, convenient, non-threatening way for myself. When I use the attack response, I'm focusing on you. I'm focusing on you. Blaming you, expecting you to be the one to solve the problem. But when I use a biblical response, you know what I'm focusing on? I'm focusing on us. I'm aware that all of us have ownership. All of us have interest in the dispute. I'm focusing on really working toward a mutual responsibility biblically when it comes to solving the problem. See, the Bible teaches that we should see conflict neither as an inconvenience nor as an occasion to force, uh, to force other people to do our will, but rather as an opportunity to demonstrate the love and power of God in our lives. Because resolving conflict, listen to me this morning, is more than a key to internal peace. Resolving conflict is really essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You show me somebody who has healthy relationships and knows how to work through conflict, and I'll show you somebody who's having a big impact for the cause of Christ. Do you hear what I said? You show me somebody who has healthy relationships and knows how to deal and work with conflict, I'll show you somebody who is having a major impact for the cause of Christ. But there's the other side of that coin. You show me somebody whose life is full of unresolved conflict and broken relationships and I'll show you somebody who's having very little impact for the cause of Christ. See, this, this principle is taught throughout the New Testament. 
One of the most emphatic statements on peace and unity is found in the prayer of Jesus. Shortly before he was arrested and taken away to be crucified. Follow along with me, John chapter 17. Look at the screen behind me. Here's what it says. This is Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here's what's interesting. As death was drawing near to Jesus, He focused on one concept. And he focused on one concept because he knew that one concept would be of paramount importance for anyone who would believe in him. See, he didn't pray that his followers would be happy. He didn't pray that they would not suffer. He didn't pray that their rights would always be defended. But instead, listen, listen, Jesus prayed that his followers would get along with one another. It was so important to him that he tied his response, I mean, he tied his reputation and his credibility to the message of how his followers would display unity and oneness. Because when you think about it, listen, listen, listen. If there's anybody who knew anything about conflict, it was Jesus. See, I don't know whether you've thought about it this way, but the very reason that Jesus lost his life was simply because of conflict. Tremendous conflict. I mean, do you know who the most famous traitor in all of history was? It was Judas. And 2,000 years after that, people still remember his name. Who was Judas? He was Jesus' disciple. He was the friend of Jesus. And Jesus trusted him. Jesus trusted Judas so much that he made him the treasurer of that little group. Which means that Jesus trusted Judas so much that he said, Judas, you handle the money. So when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't done by the government necessarily with whom he expected the opposition. It wasn't necessarily done by the religious leaders who he knew were going to oppose him. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't done by that fickle mob who on Sunday were were hollering Hosanna and on Friday they were hollering crucify him. Instead, when Jesus went to the cross, it was his friend whom he lived with, walked with, ate with for three years. It was the friend of Jesus that sold him in for 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus understands betrayal. And Jesus understands conflict. Because you see, as he hung there on that cross, he looked down at all of humanity. All of humanity that had betrayed him. His friend Judas. 
his followers who had fled. The crowd that had turned on him. The religious leaders that should have embraced him, but they didn't embrace him. And Jesus hung on that cross and looked down at them. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. On the cross, in the greatest act of surrender, Jesus opened his arms and he raised the white flag and he fell back into the arms of his father. And this morning, the same God who caught his son says to you, trust me. Surrender the conflict in your life to me and let me equip you with a love and mercy that you could never muster up on your own. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me? God, it's just so enlightening to look at the scripture and what the Bible has to say, your word has to say about conflict. We choose how we respond to it. We looked at just three options this morning, the attack response, the escape response, or the biblical response. God, my prayer this morning is that in just the little bit of time that we've spent, that you have opened the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of your people to lean into you and to embrace that biblical response. To believe that you will give them the love and mercy they need to help to deal with the conflict that's a part of their life. In their marriage, in their relationships, in their friendships, in their business. In restaurants, in grocery stores. To display the love and the mercy that only you can give them that we could walk in a peace that passes understanding shunning evil being the people that you've called us to be God we thank you for this time we thank you for this place and we thank you for your word as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus name Amen The shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my son. Cause you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good, oh, you are good, you're good. You are good, you're good, oh. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my ships, the anchor in the waves, oh, he is my son. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, oh, is my song. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the echo in the waist, oh, is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire 
attended church here for about five or six years was in a car with their fiance and their six month old kid and they've been in a car wreck and ultimately all three of them passed away And Friday, I will tell you this, I had the honor of doing the service for Toby, who attended church here for five or six years. And it gave me an amazing opportunity to speak to people I may never be able to speak to again. But can I be honest with you? Three people almost instantly lost their life the baby they were able to keep on life support until Friday or Thursday night and they took the baby's organs the heart and the kidneys and you may have seen the honor walk that they did on Facebook you might imagine that paying for the service or three services is might near impossible he was 19 years old Nobody asked me to do this. Well, somebody did ask me to do this, and it's the Holy Spirit. Yesterday, I was walking up and down my driveway, and the Holy Spirit said, you know what? You just need to give the church an opportunity 
to help pay. There's, there's, there's a bill over there that's got to be paid at Sellers. And I'm asking you to help me honor Toby, who attended church here for five or six years. And here's what I know. And again, I don't need any laughing or any gasping or anything like this. Some of you can write a $500 check. Some of you can write a $100 check. Some of you can write a $1,000 check. But it's what we should do as a church. We can't do it every time. But this time, I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to ask you to help me to help Toby. Toby has already stepped into eternity. And can I just tell you this morning, here's the thing I told those people on Friday. You don't get to choose how you die. But you do get to choose how you live. And Crossroads, you get that choice today. That you can make a difference in the life of a family who has lost a son, a dad, a fiance, all at one time, gone. Would you help me help them? Here's what you can do. Write a check to Crossroads up and above your normal giving. Let me, let me just say this. I'm just going to say this. If you can't afford to give to both, then give it to him. But write on there on your check what it's for, funeral expenses. And I'll let you know exactly what we accumulated. And I'll show you the check that was written to the sellers. If you're going to give cash, there are envelopes out there on the information kiosk. Get one of those, write your name on there, put the cash in there, seal it, and give it to Francis or Carol or somebody. But I know what the bill is. I'm not going to tell you what the bill is because, again, you know, that's not really, we're just going to do everything we can. And you know what? If we get more than enough to satisfy that bill, we'll help with the, 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 the mother's bill or the baby's bill. But you can do an amazing, you can make an amazing difference today. Write that check. Use your bank card, the giving kiosk out there. You can make a note on the giving kiosk. This is for the funeral expenses. And I will ensure that it gets there. I mean, it's quite expensive, as you might know. Let's do everything we can to help somebody who we loved and who we cared for in the time that they were here. As you exit today, you'll leave that with us, your normal tithes and offering, your tear-off, your prayer request. And again, if you want to give online, you can do that at crossroadslebanoncom forward slash give. You can use the giving kiosk or you can mail on the address that you saw on the screen before. It's been one more week, not just for me, but I know for the family. Lift them up in your prayers. Have a great day. Be back at 3 o'clock if you can. And I'll see you back here next Sunday on Palm Sunday as we wrap up this series. Thank you so much.